Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday. It is July 4th, 2021, which means it is Independence Day here in the beautiful United States of America. And we have the great privilege of celebrating our wonderful, pseudo-free, hopefully still going to be free for a while, um, nation. I know this last year has brought so many ups and downs and plot twists for a lot of people, so I hope everyone is celebrating in a huge spirit of thankfulness for what we still do have, but is also taking some time today to get some inspiration from the past of our great nation and those that helped establish it which is what I plan to go over today. So July 4th, as many know, is significant because of the document behind it, the one and only Declaration of Independence, was essentially America's letter of, hey, we are done with your tomfoolery, King George, which they sent off to Great Britain. But It is not as simple as that. The process of writing the Declaration of Independence is not typically one that people know. It actually was not even signed (laughs) until August. Some of the states didn't even get a fully signed copy of the Declaration sent around to them until the following year. So even though we celebrate traditionally on July 4th, the entire timeline of the Declaration of Independence is a lot more organic, as one would expect from a country that was just trying to establish itself. You had lots of moving parts and pieces. They are, of course, already having conflict with Great Britain at the time on the brink of the full-blown Revolutionary War And so you're going to expect some bumps in the road with the writing process, drafting process. So what I want to go through today is some little known facts about the document itself, the process that went into it, and I want to bust some specific myths about the nature of the document pertaining to some of the straight-up lies that have made their way into the retelling of American history as of late. So sticking with the theme of the fourth, I went ahead and picked four myths that I feel like are the most commonly talked about in regards to the Declaration specifically. The first being that the Declaration was written and signed by a bunch of old white men. The second myth is that the Declaration established the American government as we know it today. Third myth is that it was a pro-slavery document. And the fourth and most important myth that we are going to bust today is that it was not a Christian document and was not influenced by Christianity in any way. So we'll start with the first one. 
probably the easiest one to get through. The myth that the Declaration was signed by a bunch of old white men. So this one is really quick to debunk. I feel like in American art especially, the founders are portrayed as old white guys. Pretty sure that's just because of the trend. Don't know why it was a trend. Don't know why it was ever a trend anywhere of them wearing the long white wigs. But most of the signers of the Declaration were actually just in their early 30s, early 40s, like over half of them. Benjamin Franklin was the only one who was in his 70s, and he was actually 70 on the dot. So we have over half of the writers and signers in their 30s. You've got maybe a fourth of them in their 50s and 60s. One person who was 70, Benjamin Franklin, and then the youngest signer was only 26 years old. So the vast majority of these men were not just, you know, crusty, retired intellectuals sitting around getting fat and pontificating about, you know, some oppressive government that they were going to cook up. These were real men who probably all had, actually not even probably, we know (laughs) that many of them were lawyers, farmers, physicians, they owned farms and had families. Many of them are recorded um, as having over five children, so wives, families, they were active citizens of their individual states, and it wasn't just a conglomeration of, you know, old rotting philosophers who just wanted to stir the pot a little bit. The second myth is that the Declaration was what established our official government, which is not true. The Declaration was a statement given by the 13 individual states that each of the states were claiming their own sovereignty and their own independence from Britain. It wasn't until about a decade later when the Constitution was written that all of the states became unified under one federal government. So the Republic, the Constitutional Republic that we now categorize America as being was not formally established until about a decade later. So at this point, the purpose of the Declaration was literally just to summarize for King George in a very diplomatic way the grievances that the individual states had and present to him their intention um, of, of breaking off, essentially, from his sovereignty, which, yes, technically, that does create a country. It created America as a country, but the states were not unified 
under a federal government. So you had 13 independent territories that were still under their own modus operandi, their own legal format. And still to this day, and people forget, the states were then and are still now sovereign and they have more authority over the federal government than the federal government has over the states. Um, That's an entire other podcast for another day to get into, but that very simple understanding that the states all operated like their own mini countries, almost like Europe in its own conglomeration of countries, was one of the reasons that I think many people misunderstand the document in regards to abolishing slavery, which is what is going to bring me to my third myth, which is that the Declaration of Independence was not a pro-slavery document. I would say it was neither pro-slavery nor was it anti-slavery. It was pretty much anti-King George and everything he was doing, which without explicitly stating, included the slave trade. And we'll get into that. So I think to properly understand this third myth, and I don't know if it's so much as a myth as you would just call it an accusation um, that gets thrown thrown around all the time, like used as this kind of battering ram against the intentions of the founding fathers because they didn't explicitly talk about slavery at the time in the declaration. Um, it's used to condemn the group as a whole, which is why it's important to remember that these were 13 individual states that had 13 individual governments, really, state governments, which is why they were meeting in Congress in Philadelphia. They were accountable to themselves, and that's not to excuse any of them, but it's to kind of paint the picture of the complicated nature of A, trying to get everyone on board with even seceding from Britain to begin with, and knowing that they were all going to go into a very bloody war with no guarantee that they would even win. And then on top of that, having to eventually down the line think about how we're going to get rid of the slave trade, which had never been thought of by any country before this, and it was a global enterprise, a worldwide international accepted form of currency. And while many of the northern states, even prior to the signing and writing of the Declaration, had banned slavery, and they were the first in the world to do so, there were still, as we know, the southern states in the Union at the time, 
who were all about slavery. So you have the almost impossible task of getting 13 states to agree that seceding from Britain, which was prolific in the slave trade, funding the slave trade, and giving a lot of aid to some of these southern states in terms of their economies, you can understand how it'd be very difficult to argue cessation and the abolition of slavery at the same time. So in their wisdom, (laughs) they went with cessation, um, knowing that if they were able to accomplish that, the slave trade would be the very next thing to go. So it's important also to talk about Thomas Jefferson at this point, because he gets painted as the pro-slavery founding father all the time. There is no other way to say this than that is a blatant rewriting of history. The man was one of the most anti-slave trade founding fathers that we had. He was also the one who was specifically tasked with writing the draft of the Declaration, and he had actually included in his first draft that he presented to Congress an entire section, it was like 168 words, of specific reasons why they were also going to secede because of King George's activity in the slave trade. And this is, um, it's not vague. <laughs> like We know what he said. Um, Jefferson, Jefferson called the institution of slavery piratical warfare, so basically pirates. He called it an assemblage of horrors, as only someone from the 1700s could say. And he criticized the Crown specifically um, for waging, and I quote, cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. So Jefferson wanted to slap King George in the face with that. And when the draft was brought before Congress, they shot that part of it down. Um, It wasn't recorded why at the time, but later on, and we learned this from Thomas Jefferson's autobiography, he did write later in life that it was mostly pushback from two southern states, South Carolina and Georgia, who were profiting heavily off of the slave trade at that time, and that they could not win the Revolutionary War without. That led them to removing that clause from the rest of the list of 
the grievances that they included in the document. The fourth and final myth is that the Declaration of Independence was not a Christian-inspired document. There was no Christian influence that went into it, um, and that the founders themselves were mostly deists, and that we can't claim that America was founded on Christian principles. So I just want to take a little bit of time to read through some interesting uh, statistics and quotes that might help prove that wrong. So commonly, we often get told that the majority of the founders were deists. I don't know where that idea comes from other than a very dishonest exploration of history. In reality, only one signer of the Declaration out of 56 was not from a Protestant background, meaning he wasn't Anglican or an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian or a Congregationalist at the time. These were all like the common denominations back in the day. Think of it like you would the difference between Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists and whatnot. Today, the majority of the signers were Congregationalists which is essentially like being non-denominational today. They basically believed in the complete authority of scripture, but also in the priesthood of all believers. So they rejected the teachings of the Catholic Church and specifically the Church of England that placed all of the spiritual authority in the church with only bishops and priests. And they believed that, you know, individual Christians themselves had the exact same Holy Spirit as everybody else and was able to interpret scriptures for themselves. This was a direct line of thinking in Protestantism that came from the Reformation, of course, led by Martin Luther, which was much closer in history to those believers than it is even to us today. Then the remaining amount of signers. There's about, I want to say like 36 of them who were Congregationalists. The rest were either Episcopalian, which is kind of like a hybrid between Protestantism and Catholicism in the sense that they maintain some of the liturgical formalities of the Catholic expression you have Quakers, there was only about five of them, and then one guy, Charles Carroll, who was the lone Catholic who signed. Um, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin often get thrown under the bus for being the quote-unquote deists. Again, do not know why Thomas Jefferson wrote extensively about 
his faith in God, about dedicated reading of scripture, the whole story of him, you know, cutting things out of the Bible that he didn't like was actually him cutting out the stories of the miracles of Jesus to help evangelize the Native American tribes because he knew that they would resonate with the miraculous more than they would the intellectual because they were already a very like spiritually aware culture and people. And unlike most people who have difficulty being converted through the the stories of Jesus's miracles today, and we would rather see empirical evidence for the Christian faith, Thomas Jefferson knew that the Native Americans would be very responsive to the the power of Jesus Christ and his deity. So that is just a little aside about Thomas Jefferson that I feel like tears down a lot of the misconception about him. But aside from Thomas Jefferson, we also have extensive writings and letters from many of the other signers that express their own personal views on how inspired the declaration was by Christianity. So I just want to read a couple of quotes from founding fathers that are probably more recognized than others. First one being John Adams, who went on to be president of the United States, signed the declaration. He wrote to his wife, Abigail, right after they signed it. And he said to her, this day will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. He actually also argued that the 4th of July should be celebrated on the same like spiritual level as Christmas because of how much they they credited Jesus and his death and resurrection overthrowing the gates of hell as being their inspiration of rising up against tyranny and having the courage to, you know, go against their civil, civil natures of wanting to be non-confrontational, obedient citizens, um, and be willing to lay down their very lives in hope that it would conquer the evil of King George and raise up a better future for the country. So obviously we don't at all put like America on the same pedestal as Calvary, duh. But to them, knowing that signing this document likely meant signing their death sentences, 
you can understand how they were having a little bit of spiritual weightiness behind it because they were essentially having to commit their lives into the hands of God if any of this was ever going to work. John, John Adams also said, different time, different writing, he said, it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. The only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. There was another signer of the Declaration, Benjamin Rush, who said, the only foundation for a useful education in a republic is to be laid in religion. Without this, there can be no virtue, and without virtue, there can be no liberty, and liberty is the object and life of all Republican governments. Charles Carroll, who was the, the one Catholic of the bunch, said, without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. They, therefore, who are decrying the Christian religion, are undermining the solid foundation of morals, the best security for the duration of free governments. So there's there's endless quotes and writings of the Founding Fathers, um, James Madison said, the belief in a God, all-powerful, wise, and good, is essential to the moral order of the world and to the happiness of man. He signed the Declaration, um, and he also signed the Constitution. So you have <laughs> not, not deists, okay? Deists are men who are like, yeah, there could be a God out there somewhere, um, but these are, these are men who had committed themselves specifically to the Judeo-Christian worldview and drew on it extensively to write one of the greatest political documents that has ever <laughs> graced mankind outside of probably what we find in the Bible. Um, and that's not saying at all that America is like God's chosen nation. I don't at all believe that America today is somehow synonymous with Israel or something, but we also can't neglect the power to do good that Christianity has when it is in the hands of authentic and true believers. So the declaration was kind of just step one um, into planting that liberty seed. I believe there's a quote that I think, I think President Biden actually just recently mutilated it when he tried to say it. Um, but it's that the tree of liberty has been watered with the blood of patriots. And I think a lot of the, the criticism that the Declaration, that the Constitution, that the founding gets is that they didn't solve all of the problems immediately at the exact same second. And it's like, well, no, of, of course not. <laughs> Nothing that we ever do in life that is worth lasting a long time happens in the blink of an eye. Um, the the choice to even secede from Britain and go and step into a revolution was 
to just repeat myself, a revolutionary act. It took a ton of courage. It was not anyone's first choice. They didn't just leave Europe chomping at the bit to start a war and to not free the slaves. They were trying to escape the tyranny that had plagued them for years and years and years. But you also had a completely open, open to anyone, frontier. There was no one here yet checking people at the door, being like, what are your intentions in this land? It was basically first come, first serve. And so you had many, 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 many godly people coming here alongside many, 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 many not so godly people. And so there was this tension back then, and it continues today, of how do we live in in union and in unity with one another and maintain our our country without becoming a tyranny in ourselves as we strive to maintain religious liberty and religious freedom, even if that means giving people the free will to have an evil persist for a little while. Because ultimately, as we know, as American history um, continued on, the same men who, well, many of them who signed and drafted the declaration went on to form the anti-slavery party in the United States. That was Benjamin Franklin. Thomas Jefferson went on to pass the first bill in Congress that even prohibited in 1803 any slaves, additional slaves coming into the country. They were like, you you cannot bring anyone else. The slave trade is officially stopped and we are going to deal um, with what we have here at the time. Um, and, and Frederick Douglass, who is the famous rhetorician and freed slave referred to the Declaration and the Constitution both as freedom documents. And one of the main reasons that the abolition the abolition of slavery was eventually even allowed to happen in this country because the seed had been planted and as legal processes continued, it paved more and more pathways for limitations to be put on the states and for slaves to be freed and also given a place in society because what they also didn't want to happen was for the economic system of slavery to collapse and then leave all of these freed slaves with nowhere to go in society. Um, there's a lot of documentation that we have that records the abolitionists trying to work through these issues. Like, what is the greater evil? Is it letting slaves who were generally not being mistreated, um, and obviously that's not saying that there weren't slaves being mistreated. This is talking about only the places they knew of where there were kind of benevolent plantation owners who offered honest food and housing for 
their slaves, if it was more just to leave them there while they figured out how to structure society to welcome the influx of freed slaves, or if they should just pass laws that freed all of them and there wouldn't be anywhere for them to go um, once that all happened. So obviously, eventually this led to a civil war. We literally fought a war against Britain, and then we fought a war against ourselves. So America is not afraid to bleed a little bit for what she believes in. Um, and I think it's just important to, to not look at American history, especially like it's just this up, they dropped the ball on that one thing. And so we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I cannot imagine what it was like to be the first country at the time, who was simultaneously discovering a new world that nobody else had ever been to before, with the influx of multiple nations all trying to get together at the same time, with a tyrannical king, with a slave trade, trying to figure out how to pass documents that was somehow going to keep everyone all together without the new country that was forming also collapsing into war against itself while they were trying to free themselves from Britain and talk about abolishing a slave trade that until then, since the beginning of time, had just been accepted globally as the norm. Like, how do you, how do you even go <laughs> about doing that? Um, it truly is such an inspiring document. If you have the time today, go online and find a transcript of the Declaration and read it. Kind of just take a second to put yourself in the founder's shoes. And I hope you'll just go forward into the day with a little bit more uh, respect for these men, even if you respected them tremendously before. I just am continuously very sobered the more I reflect on American history and how much these men sacrificed um, their life, liberty, and their sacred honor, as the Declaration says, and what they were willing to put on the line for them to have a better future. And not even necessarily them, because many of them knew that if they went to war with Britain, Many of them are going to die. So risking everything, not exactly something I would say most Americans today are, you know, jump on the gun to do. We might be heading in that direction. So get some inspiration from these 56 incredible men who poured their heart and souls into the Declaration and maybe we'll do a follow-up podcast to this one about the Constitution because it is an equally fascinating document and equally inspirational. Also, don't forget that this year, July 4th, 
falls on Sabbath. Um, as much as I think it is beautiful and awesome and appropriate to celebrate the United States and our independence, the founders were very clear that in their declaring independence, they were entrusting their lives and their futures to God. And it was a very spiritually infused action for them. So take some time also today to intentionally reflect on your position in America in light of God's providence um, to those men and how his faithfulness to them has carried down to us and just reflect in gratefulness to him because it truly is a God thing that America ever became America and wasn't just another British colony because that's what they were doing, colonizing the world. Um, and that we don't have a nice little Union Jack as part of our national flag. So yeah, that is what I wanted to cover today for the Declaration of Independence. I hope you guys at least learned something. If you would like to know more or had questions, always shoot me a message because I always like an excuse to research more things that maybe I wasn't thinking about before. But I hope that gives you enough curiosity to maybe go read it on your own today and um, <laughs> just mourn the fact that people don't write the way that they used to. Okay, guys, that is all I have for you today. Have a great 4th of July. God bless America.